Just pray with me. Father, we love your word. As John just said, your word brings life. And so as we open up the scriptures today, literally as we open these pages and as we open them up to see what you say, bring life to us so that through us, life might be brought to the world. God, speak to us now. We depend upon your Holy Spirit. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. I've had the chance to speak at some of the other redemption congregations uh, during this section on love in Romans chapter 12 and Romans chapter 13. And I've said every time I've preached this that these are two of my favorite chapters in all of the scriptures. And yet, these two chapters, if you read them for what they are really saying, have the ability to floor you both in amazement at what God's saying and floor you on the basis that you're not living up to it. You and I are not living up to these passages. I texted Tom Schrader, who's preaching at Gilbert this morning, and Tim Mon, uh, who's another pastor in Redemption. I said, what if we actually lived these chapters? Like, what if I actually lived this, and what if you actually lived this? What if we as redemption churches, you as Redemption Gateway, actually lived this? I think sometimes we take the words of Jesus, his words in the Gospels, and the words that are displayed to us even throughout the New Testament, and we almost make them like Hallmark cards. Like, oh, that's a really nice phrase. But we don't understand that we are being implicated, called to live these realities out. When you get into the epistles, and when we're in this epistle, which just means letter, this letter to the Romans, all of the New Testament is teaching or commentary telling us how to live out Jesus' command to love God with everything we are and to love our neighbors as ourselves. When you read the Bible, it seems like there's a lot there, but in reality, the New Testament is just giving teaching to actually specific communities of people saying, here's how right now you live out the command to love your neighbor as yourself, and in so doing, love God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength. So we're looking now at Paul communicating to the Romans how to live out these truths of loving God with all that they are and loving their neighbor as themselves. So that's what Jesus calls us to as Christians, which just means little Christs, Christ followers, ones who imitate him. As Christians, he's calling us to the simple yet very difficult command to love. But here's the question. How big is that love? How bold is that love that Jesus is really calling us to? I have a two and a half year old little girl who's got a real gravelly voice. And whenever she wants something, she'll say, Hey, Daddy, can I have a popsicle? And I'll say, Maybe. And then she'll say, I want a big one. So yesterday we're watching her brothers play and I'm going in and I have a bag of ice and I'm giving the, my little girls just chips of ice and she would say every time, I want a big one. So the question is, when Jesus says love, Jesus is saying, and I want a big one. Big love. Bold love. But we have to see when Jesus makes these very simple, straightforward, unquestionable commands, like love your neighbor as yourself, we say, well, how big? How bold? I mean, what about my coworker who's constantly slandering me? 
Or what about my brother who punches me in the back and then when I say he punched me, he says, no, he's lying and I get in trouble for lying. What about my spouse who says words that more often than not are like arrows to my soul? What about that really close friend or that neighbor who sexually abused me? How big and how bold is this love? What about those people who want me dead, literally? That person who wants me dead. How big, how bold is this love that Jesus is calling us to? Well, Paul begins to speak about it in this passage that we have just read. And he's directly dealing with our questions about how big and bold. Our questions that make us go, yeah, but. Like the man in the Gospels who said, Jesus, what's the greatest of all the commandments? And Jesus said, love God with all your everything and your neighbor as yourself. And yet seeking to justify himself, thinking about these types of people, those people who in his heart of hearts he didn't like, and at many times maybe because they really didn't like him, and it says seeking to justify himself, he said, well, Jesus, who's my neighbor? In essence, he was saying, how big? How bold? How long, how far are you actually saying to go? So what do we do with that person who really is after us, who really does evil things. How far is love supposed to go when we think about that person? Well, here's the first thing that we need to understand about how big and how bold is the love of Christ against those who do evil towards us. Love, as we try to play out what it really looks like, love does not seek to get even. Love does not seek to get even. Look at chapter 12, verse 17, right where we're beginning. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. And yet, in our culture and in our hearts, in your heart, more often than not, we say this. I don't get mad. I get even. I don't get mad, I just get even. When he, my brother slugs me, I slug him. If you ever watch sports, okay, how many of you guys are football fans? It's a little survey. Now, keep your hands up, keep your hands up, football fans. How many like college football more, keep your hands up, than NFL? How many like NFL more than college? Okay, that's where the money is, right? That's why the money's right there. But if you watch football, I was watching a game last night. I'm a big Nebraska football fan. And I was watching Nebraska play uh, last night against the University of Miami, historic rivalry. And you would see these things happen. Like there'd be a play at the end, tackling, and then all of a sudden out of the blue, somebody, boom, would hit another guy. He'd fall to the ground and then he'd get up. I don't get mad, I get even. Boom, and he'd shove him. And then what happens? He'd shove him. Or in baseball, Somebody gets hit by a pitch, next inning, next guy gets hit by a pitch, next inning, next guy gets hit by a pitch. This is why God says, that's a stupid way to go about life. This, I don't get mad, I get even idea. Because the cycle never ends. If everybody lives by that, you end up getting more licks than you ever would have if you had just obeyed God's word and his wisdom. 
Like in Proverbs chapter 20, verse 22, do not say I will repay evil for evil, but wait for the Lord. He will deliver you. And in Proverbs 24, 29, do not say, I will do to him as he has done to me. I will pay the man back for what that man has done. The Proverbs just give baseline wisdom. Don't do that. Don't repay evil for evil. But just so you know, you're in this room expecting to hear about Jesus for one of a couple reasons. One is you say you're a Christian. You actually follow Jesus. Another one may be you're just inquisitive. You came because you're interested in what Jesus has to say. Let me tell you, Jesus takes the wisdom of Proverbs and goes way further. He makes it way bigger. He makes it way bolder. Jesus says crazy stuff. If you're a normal human being, Jesus says crazy stuff. Look at this in Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 through 22. Speaking of anger, he says, You have heard it that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who's angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the counselor, and whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. Look at that. Will be liable to the hell of fire. Jesus is going way big here. Not just don't repay evil for evil, but he begins to speak about anger deep down, even in the way you speak with your mouth about people. And he says, in fact, if you speak with your mouth certain ways about people, like you fool, the way you think about your enemies, oh, they're the biggest idiots. They're foolish. They're idiots. He says, in so doing, you prove what you really believe and you're liable to the hellfire. Jesus goes big. Jesus goes really bold. Look at what he says here, specifically about retaliation in Matthew 5, 38 through 42. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, which means repay evil for evil. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anybody would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. Here's the baseline. If we want to understand how big the love that Jesus calls us to in the face of those who actively are seeking our harm, whether it be through words that are like swords or whether it's through literal swords, here's what we know. Love the love that Jesus is calling us to does not seek to get even. When they do us wrong, we are not to do wrong back to them if we're following Jesus. If we believe that the words that Jesus speaks, John said this, the word of God really brings revival. It really brings life. If you want to understand how to resurrect those dead parts of your soul, if you really are after, what did Jesus mean when he said, I came to give you life and give it to you abundantly? 
That life comes from the word of God, but putting the word of God in action. If you want to experience the life, you've got to live the love, the bold, big love that Jesus called us to. And that love does not seek to get even. Now take a deep breath with me for a minute. And be real. Right now, think of the person in your mind, that place in your soul, in your heart, that you so desperately want revenge. That person you'd love to see slapped in the face. I may not do it, but I'd love to see him smacked. I want you to honestly think about a picture in your head and then listen to Romans 12, 19, this passage that we're in. He says, Beloved, Never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Look at the way he starts that off. He says, if you're going to love this big way, this bold way, he starts and he says, loved ones, beloved. Look at it, 1219, loved ones, the ones who are so radically loved by God, don't seek to get even. Trust God. None of this stuff passes by the sight of God and none of it will fall out of his memory. He has promised you. He says, vengeance is mine. I will repay so that you and I don't have to. And beloved, remember, while we were yet enemies... He died for us. That's what's built up in that word beloved. While we were yet enemies, Christ died and took the vengeance of God upon himself that we might not have to live in the life-sucking reality of eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth. That we don't have to live in the life-sucking out of you. Life is sucked out of you when you get even. The big, bold love of God, as displayed in Jesus, whom we follow, is that this love does not seek to get even. He then begins to flesh it out even more for us, and he tells us this, this big, bold love will pursue peace at all times. Now, just read that right there. Love pursues peace when? Not sometimes. Not when those people respond the way you want them to respond. Or when those people stop doing those horribly horrific things. But love pursues peace at all times. Look at this passage in Romans chapter 12 verse 18. If possible... So far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Now, those of you who are like that man that talked to Jesus and seeking to justify himself, who is my neighbor, this beginning part should help you a little bit. He says, if possible, so far as it depends upon you. Now, if possible means this. Not, oh, I've done everything I possibly could, and in reality, you didn't. It's, hey, the reality is that person may never respond. You can't control what they do. 
but you can control what you do. And as far as it depends upon you and I, if we are the ones following Jesus, seeking to put application to what he tells us in his word, as far as it depends upon us, do everything possible to live at peace with all people. Now we're in that same place again. You mean live at peace with the coworker that consistently slanders me? With the brother who all they want is my harm? With the sister who all they want is my harm? You mean do everything I can to live at peace with the spouse who I swear, though we're married and though they took those vows, this person hates my guts and would rather see me dead. You mean live at peace with that man who so violated me 15 years ago and I cannot get it out of my head or that woman. Live at peace with those people who literally want us dead? As far as it depends upon us. You know what's so amazing to me as I read these passages? Is these passages have to be read by all the Christians in the world. By all the Christians in Iraq right now whose children have been beheaded, whose spouses have been beheaded, have to read this same exact passage. The Bible doesn't change for them when they're there in that context and in that place. And it doesn't change for us. He says, as far as it depends upon us, live peaceably with us everyone at all times. Jesus spoke like this. All Paul is doing is giving teaching upon what Jesus said. And in Matthew chapter 5, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus has this very famous phrase where he said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Now, if you don't know this, that word blessed literally is the Greek word makarios, which means happy. Happy are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Now, if you know anything about the Bible, those whom believe on the name of Jesus are called the children of God. Look, it's right here. Specifically, uh, we see this in the Gospel of John, where Jesus says, to all who believed upon him, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Now just look at that for a minute. Belief and the reception of Jesus gives us the right to be called children of God. Okay, that's what we would call a Christian. If you're familiar with the lingo, born again Christian, that's it. That when we believe, Jesus through Jesus Christ, God brings us to himself and calls us his very own kids. Now, the kids are defined as something as well from then. Can you go back to Matthew chapter 5 there? Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons or children of God, which means this. It is not an option for those who have received and believed upon his name to be peacemakers. If you're a child of God, based upon your faith and belief in Jesus Christ, you are called to be, by God called to be, not optionally called to be, a peacemaker. Why? 
because you've brought into the one and called to follow the one who at his very core makes peace. The scriptures say, by the blood of his cross, which means at any cost, at infinite cost to himself, he made peace and calls us into living that very same way. At any cost, at infinite cost to ourselves, at the point of death, seek peace and find blessedness. Now, just so you know, Redemption Gateway, that's not what the world tells you will bring happiness. At every cost to yourself, be at peace with all men. At any cost, at all times, be at peace with all men. Now, we have to step back and go, what would that even look like as far as it depends upon us to live at peace with all people? How is peace made? Well, I can start by telling you this. It is not made at a distance. There's an incredible article that came out a few weeks ago in the New York Times, little short article. So if you're like, I don't like the New York Times, they have long articles, big ones, right? You can go, okay, this is a short one. And it's called Peace Through Friendship. If you type in Peace Through Friendship, NYT, New York Times, in Google, it'll be pop up right away. On your phone, just push show full article. It's like, this It's not long at all. And essentially what it's saying is research is being done, literal research is being done on how people change and how peace in the most hostile of circumstances is being brought. And research is proving it comes through friendship and friendship comes through proximity, being near them. Now, if you're following my argument right now and you have that person in your mind that you really think is seeking to do your harm, you harm and you're hearing as far as it depends upon you, live at peace with all men and you just got the memo that it can't end with an email or a letter. And you're going, I'm not going further than that. Just sit with it. Because can peace really be made at a distance? Or does it necessitate proximity? Does it necessitate sitting down face to face with them? I'm convinced it does. And I think what face to face does is it humanizes somebody. The opportunity to actually hear their heart when you may think they're 99.999% of the wrong. And you go, I want out of here. I'm hitting the eject button now. I'm getting out of here. And Jesus is saying, as far as it depends upon you, live at peace with all men. Now, reality is, when it's possible, they may refuse it. And there is situations, many situations, that I would advise you, even pastorally, you may not want to be there alone. But as far as it depends upon you, live at peace with these people. What about all of the hostility that's going on in our world? Can friendship be born and peace be made when we speak about people at a distance whom we don't even know? Let's be honest, Redemption Gateway. It's true of Redemption Church as a whole, but I want to speak with you all because I'm here today with us. We are way better at speaking about people we don't even know than we are speaking to them or with them. 
exhibit a Facebook. Some of you guys are amazing at speaking about people whom you've never met or have a friend who's anything like that person. Maybe for you it's Mormons. Maybe it's Muslims. Maybe it's immigrants. Maybe it's the rich. Maybe it's the poor. Maybe it's people who have a different skin color than you. Maybe it's people who have a different sexual orientation than you. And you are an expert in knowing and talking about that person. But you've never talked to them or with them. I would say, with all of the authority of Jesus Christ, you aren't following Jesus Christ, if that's what you're doing. Be quick to listen and slow to speak, the Bible says. You can't listen from a distance. So what that begins to mean is these big barriers. There's a big black line up here of tape. Take it as the, the image. Jesus is saying, as far as it depends upon you, live at peace. And if peace comes through friendship, he's saying those big erected barriers that are erected in our hearts and in our souls and in our neighborhoods and in our communities and on the media, we as Christ followers cannot allow those to be erected and stay there. We will pole vault over them to sit with somebody, talk to them and with them. And let me tell you, true friendship church does not mean agreeing with them. I've had some incredible opportunities recently to sit with people whose worldview is diametrically opposed to mine, who their view of life I think has eternally catastrophic consequences to them. I'm a Christian. I believe there's no other name under heaven in which we are saved but at the name of Jesus. And if they don't receive him, and believe in him, they cannot be called children of God and they're under the wrath of God. And I've sat with them and heard about what they believe and had opportunities to say to them, one of the, the primary reason I'm here, love. But under the rubric of love is evangelism. I want you to know Jesus. And I think what you believe has catastrophically eternal consequences. Okay, that just means it's bad. For you. And we walk away friends. Friends can be honest with each other. Jesus never intended us to speak this from a distance, but to embrace them. And you know what's driving me in this in a massive way? And you got to hear this. How big and how bold is Jesus calling us to? So big and so bold that he fundamentally says whether or not you are a child of God is directly linked to how we seek peace. How we love our neighbors as ourselves. I fundamentally believe Christians, if you're in here and you are not a Christian, just so you know, Christians believe in the judgment we believe that one day we will stand before the face of God and give an account for everything we've done. Now, most of the time, if you're in here and you're an unbeliever, you hear about judgment as it relates to all of those who aren't Christians. And you say, well, isn't that handy, right? All the judgment comes down upon us, but not upon you. But in fact, the Bible says judgment actually begins with the household of God. Okay, so if you're in here and now you're a Christian, 
Judgment begins with you. And I am convinced the Bible teaches that the dividing line, the metric, the way in which this is judged is on the basis of how we loved our neighbors as ourselves. Now, if you're in here, you go, but we're Redemption Church. We're gospel-centered and outward-focused. The metric is faith. Yes, a living faith. A living faith that the Bible is so clear is proved that if you really believe that Jesus Christ, whom you were at hostility with, you were at odds with, you were not at peace with, at infinite cost to himself, brought you in and made peace, not on the basis of anything you did, but he applied this verse, as far as it depended upon him, all the way to death, he made peace with us. If you get that and you believe on that, you have received that, the Bible is very clear, that does something to you. That does something in the way you view people. That's why Redemption Church is gospel-centered and outward-focused. Not, and if we get to it, outward-focused. But we're gospel-centered and outward-focused as far as it depends upon us. We must pursue peace at all times. And then Jesus kind of, Paul expresses that Jesus brings the final finale. He goes even further. You're not supposed to repay evil for evil, that love never seeks to get even. Love seeks peace at all times, and peace demands proximity. You've got to be up close and personal. And then he says this, the way love deals with evil. Love overcomes evil with creative good. Go back to verse 17. It's 17b. If you ever are reading a book and it says Romans 17a, that just means the first half of the verse. B means after the comma, basically. So go after the comma. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. So love gives thought to do good to their neighbors, even the neighbors who want to kill them, even the neighbors who consistently do wrong to them. The word give thought means in advance, pre-planning, determined action, not spontaneous, but you are planning, you are giving thought. How might I do what is honorable in the sight of everybody. There's uh, these practices that we have in a discipleship program we do called SURGE. And the practices are the BLESS practices. And it's an acronym for BLESS, LISTEN, EAT, SPEAK, SABBATH. And you're supposed to do them in advance. Journal them. Who am I going to bless this week? And we say bless a believer somebody who believes like you, an unbeliever, somebody who doesn't believe like you, and somebody not like you. I'd love to put a fourth in there and go, and an enemy. And you are just supposed to intentionally, a blessing could be a kind word, it could be bringing them a coffee at work, it could be whatever. Think about that. If you this week went, here's the person at my office whom can't stand me, and in turn, I can't stand them, and you went, you know what? They love Double vanilla cappuccinos from Starbucks. I'm going to buy them one every day this week and just seek to be a blessing. Or there's that family across the street who thinks I'm going to hell. Or 
I think is going to hell. They can't stand us because we're Christians. We're going to invite them over for dinner this week. We're going to bring them a care package. You're giving thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. And then he ends the whole passage by this. He says, to the contrary, to the contrary of getting even, verse 20, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Okay. If you follow that passage based upon what Jesus himself has said. He says it about any old neighbor. Love your neighbor as yourself. If they're thirsty, give them something to drink. And Matthew 25 says, we'll be judged on this because in so doing, you're doing it to Jesus. When did I see you hungry? He says, I was the hungry person. When did I see you thirsty? I was the thirsty person. When did I see you lonely? I was the lonely person. That's what Jesus says. But he says it, do this, and we read it like, yeah, do it to the people that are gonna love it when we do it to them. Now, Paul's saying, but the way Jesus is teaching this is to do it to those who will hate you for doing it. Who don't want to be around you. Who want your demise. If you see them thirsty, give them something to drink. I mean, imagine this right now. I, I hesitate like crazy to make crazy illustrations like ISIS in Iraq because you're going to go, that's incredible. Aren't great Christians? But he's calling you to do it in your neighborhood and in your workplace, and in your family, and in your extended family. But think about this right now. That, this passage means, a Christian reading this, that if they were to see some ISIS soldiers on the side of the road whom were thirsty, they are to give them water. Now you go, that's crazy. Water in exchange for my head on the ground. Right? Like that's not a good transaction. I'd rather see them thirsty and dying on the side of the road than me give them water. But he says here, in so doing, you will heap burning coals upon their head. Remember what God says about how he brought us to repentance? Did he bring us to repentance by going, you miserable slime slugs. I hope you die. You're the biggest idiots on the face of the planet. No, actually this book, Romans, says that it's his kindness that led us to repentance. So what does that mean for us? The handing of water, the handing of food in his name can literally bring people to remorse and repentance. And even if it doesn't, we're called to do it. There's a friend of mine named Jeremy Courtney who works in Iraq. He's written a book called Preemptive Love, and he coined this phrase as he lived in Iraq as a Christian in his whole organization. Love first, ask questions later. Love first, ask questions later, because questions will always lead you to fear, and fear is the opposite of love. That's why in 1 John, John tells us, perfect love casts out fear. So they said, if that's true, love first, ask questions later. But they hate me. Love first, ask questions later. But they want my harm. Love first, ask questions later. Creatively love. I would give anything for all of the redemption churches to memorize and apply verse 21. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Love overcomes evil with creative good. 
there's some passages, don't turn these on right now, but in Matthew 5, specifically about what loving your neighbor looks like, read Matthew chapter 5, okay? But before we leave, I want you to think about creative good, ways in which we as Redemption Church can go about this. And I want you first to think about carrot cake, okay? Look at this picture of this carrot cake that's up here. Okay, have you ever thought about how carrot cake would have been invented? Like, it's kind of crazy, right? Cream cheese, frosting, carrots, flat, like, who thinks about that? It sounds gross, and it tastes, I don't know if you guys all like it, but it tastes amazing. Part of it's because of the frosting. I, I, we have a pastor um, at Redemption Tempe that, that brought this to my attention. He said, I am convinced that what, how carrot cake came about is somebody showed up at somebody's house, and they went, oh my, what do I do? We've got to do something. We have to be hospitable. So they went to their cupboards and they took what they had to meet a need. We have carrots. We have sugar. We have cream. We have flour. What do we do? Carrot cake. And they make it and somebody's like, I've never even heard of this. And then they taste it and because there was a pound of sugar in it, they went, this is amazing, right? And they're thinking, it's not the carrots, right? That was just to give it color. Like it's the sugar. So my buddies come up with this carrot cake game. Every Friday morning, I take my kids to this coffee shop and Jim Mullins is sitting there and he has two stacks of cards. You can play this game. It's really easy. One stack of cards, he goes through note cards. He lists out everything he has. The other stack of cards, everything the world needs. What are the problems in the world? Tension between Mormons and evangelicals. Tension between Muslims and evangelicals. Tension between the rich and the poor. Kids don't have shoes. Homeless people. Whatever the needs are. And then he plays a game to cultivate his creativity. And he goes, a garage and the pressure teacher's face. Right? A need, problem, pressure teacher's face, a garage. And he forces himself to play a game with other people of how he's cultivating creativity. Could my empty garage meet a teacher's tension? He puts it out on Facebook the other day. Another member of Redemption Gilbert says, here's an idea. Pick up the teacher's car at work, take it to the garage, clean it and detail it, and then deliver it to him at the end of the day. Now, Jesus says, think that creatively with your enemies. There's a passage I am going to have you put up in Romans chapter 5, I'm sorry, in Matthew chapter 5, and we've read it already. It's about going the second mile. Um, Go to the next one, I think, if there is. So, and if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. How many people in here, raise your hand, know what the name of this church was before it was Redemption Gateway? Lots of you. Look at, look at this logo. <laughs> that was the name of the church. Second Mile Church. Somebody asks you to go one mile with them. They're seeking your harm. That was the context of this. Don't just go one, go two. Because Jesus' love is way bigger and it's way bolder than you and I even thought. And it's in his power and by his grace that we live that life. Let's pray. Father, we love you so much. I pray that this church in its maiden name would live out the reality of loving even their enemies 
as themselves. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.